Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Director of Cybersecurity Advisory Services here at Cyber Theory. Today's episode will explore the need for and use cases around design and systems thinking in cybersecurity marketing. And joining me today is Parjeet Kale, the co-founder of Think Design Cyber. Parjeet created Think Design Cyber to pioneer critical thinking and systems and design thinking in the cybersecurity discipline and and is also a a founding executive fellow of our Cyber Theory Institute. In uh, 2020, Prachi co-authored an award-winning article entitled Cybersecurity, the Endgame, published by Taylor and Francis's Ed Peck's journal, which became one of the seminal pieces for her multidisciplinary programs in approaching cybersecurity differently. But she has an impressive career leading cybersecurity initiatives and managing cybersecurity board reporting and budgets and advises growth companies focused on human-centric, sustainable products and technologies. Welcome, Prachi, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Steve. Always a pleasure. As you know quite well, I spent a lot of time with cybersecurity marketers, and during the last 12 months, I'm pretty excited about how systems and design thinking can shift the paradigm for how we go about the design of cyber defense systems. Can you explain to our audience what these terms mean in your own language and how they can impact the future? Absolutely. I'd like to preface my answer with this. Systems and design thinking are not new concepts, Steve, as you know, right? They've been heavily used in other disciplines and industries. They've accelerated innovations, and I sort of look at it from four dimensions, easier, better, faster, cheaper. System thinking, in fact, was quite prevalent in um, the cybersecurity space until the early 2000s before uh, methods from ICFR, the Internal Control for Financial Reporting, became popular. But then in the last years, absolutely, we've seen a resurgence or what I call a revival of systems and design thinking, given the global challenges we've faced you know, collectively as a humanity on different fronts. So I'm very excited, again, like, like yourself, to see that applied. That said, systems and design thinking... <laughs> in my own easy to understand terms, are deliberate and active ways of thinking, right? We're thinking and feeling human beings, but it's it's really being intentional about the way we think about problems and coming up with creative solutions, right? So this way, we're training and orienting ourselves to be intentional in the way we're looking and doing things. I mean, for this audience, from a marketing standpoint, how do we tell that story and how do we create the content and how do we create solutions and deliver them for our clients collectively, right? Now, systems thinking, from my perspective, literally is the ability to expand your perspective and see the big picture and look at the problem as a system and then understand that anything that is acting within or on that system becomes a part of that system. And for me, I use the acronym PPT, which everybody's aware of, but for my, you know, My brain, it works as people, process, and technology. All those three aspects, process also includes methods and frameworks and all of the good stuff there. The PPT 
together becomes a system, right? A lot of times when we see a system, we look at it as tech. That's not what I'm talking about. Now, taking that, connecting the dots, assessing in a non-linear manner, same for cause and effect, coming down to cause and effect from a non-linear manner, simplifying complexities, being able to see choke points or, you know, or just ease of flow in information systems, and then simplifying the complexity and looking at interaction points and then anticipating scenarios in order to derive solutions is how I define systems thinking. Now, that feeds design thinking, which if you Google, you'll see design thinking <laughs> defined as a process. I say it's an outcome, right? Design thinking, again, is thinking about um, solutions in a creative manner using formalized design approaches. Right. And then using the process in order to build those solutions, the iterative process that people are talking about. Another thing I'd like to point out here is when I say problems, they can be of any kind. Simple things from process improvements to a range of, you know, what people know as wicked problems, everything from world hunger, poverty to climate change. All of those, to me, fall in the same bucket. It's the degree of complexity. It's the degree of interconnectedness and interdependencies. And design thinking also prompts the the notion of aesthetics and user experience, right? What we're also looking at design thinking is from the perspective of a multidisciplinary, but also from a from a large scale manufacturing like approach as well, where you're looking at ease of service, use, design, and concepts like that. Now, from a future standpoint, Steve, you mentioned the work that we're doing at Think Design Cyber Cyber Theory Institute. We're literally the first group of people who are looking at cybersecurity as a discipline with that people, process, and technology approach, right? We're looking at it as a system and seeing, hey, if cybersecurity is a complex adaptive system, what are the issues that we all collectively within the cybersecurity industry across different areas, right? Healthcare, finance, telecom, all of these different industries, we have similar problems, right? And so we've identified some structural flaws around the concept of cybersecurity, the way we're doing cybersecurity today, you know, across different areas. And that's what we're looking at. And we're super excited about it from a future perspective. And for this audience, again, looking at your cybersecurity approach, your cybersecurity solutions as a system fitting in other systems is, is remarkable for the future. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah, sure. And, you know, when you break it down like you just did, if I ask you a, to a technical definition, which you just gave me, what happens is there's a lot of, I believe, and yeah. your audience immediately goes to gobbledygook, you know, like, yes. Well, uh, yes. wait a minute, well, what is she talking about, you know? And, and, and so from my point of view, systems thinking enables designers to simply step away from the notion that one system contains a standalone solution around which supporting systems must be built yeah. in order to sustain. And I think that definition is at a level of perfection, and I don't mean it subjectively, but rather that if you look at it that way, that simply means that the assumption that that the entire solution to whatever the problem happens to be that's that is now embedded in that quote system that you're looking at right. is not there necessarily, right? It can be mm-hmm. there. That, that that might be cool. It might actually end up being the answer. But in many cases, and in particular in marketing, where we can extrapolate what we think is what drives human behavior 
and add other kinds of factors in that also drive human behavior and expand an existing system to include those factors. So now all of a sudden, I always use Starbucks as a great example. Now all of a sudden you have an experiential element that's not just an informational element. So for example, and if you wanted to take a systems view from my point of view, you, you by simply expanding to include one experimental element in, in the mix, you've now been able to change that paradigm. So absolutely seems to me that any critical systems thinking of the future is going to succeed by unlocking that invisible cultural meaning that everybody has. So you go around the world, there has to be you know, literally thousands of them from country to country that drive different human engagement with any technological or non-technological platform can generate. You agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and you use the great word, right? Expand. And that's what I was going to say was you're literally allowing yourself, right? When I coach people, I'm also an executive coach and I coach a lot of cybersecurity professionals. You literally, when you expand your perspective, right? You allow yourself to expand your perspective and from a marketing standpoint, your marketing process is also a system that's now interacting with a cybersecurity system, which has its own innate culture in a larger cultural organization, you know, a larger organization with its own culture, right? So now if you start to look at it as different pieces and say, okay, how does my marketing fit with, you know, the cultural meaning of the cybersecurity organization and then the broader cultural meaning of that, that organization itself, right? What values, beliefs, and mission it's driving towards. Then you can tailor that experience Again, we're in a, in, a, in a state where everything is about tailoring experiences. What does that mean to this individual and the organization and the organization as a whole? Yeah, exactly. And, and, from a, and so I can just see, you know, we've got a thousand marketers listening to this podcast right now going, well, that all sounds great. What does it have to do with lead generation and, my, and, and what I need to do before the end of the month here? I'm supposed to generate another mm-hmm. x percentage leads right how does this yeah. how does this information that you're telling me enable me to leverage this to drive my product deeper into the into the niche markets i'm trying to uh, i'm trying to attack yeah. so i'd say when you start to look at cyber as a complex adaptive system and see where your solution fits into that system right again your solution may be small but can have wide ranging impact that solution may mean different things for different people in that organization, right? Largely, we're looking at lead generation. We're looking at your content creation from the perspective of a cyber organization. Now, the position of cyber itself has it elevated from being, you know, either part of IT. A lot of times you see cyber in different parts of the organization, right? They don't sit in IT. Sometimes they're sitting in legal and compliance or in risk management. The buying decision process starts to change people who are part of that decision process also change, right? So you can literally tailor the outreach according to the actors now that are acting in the system. So I think literally looking at the interconnectedness, the interdependencies, and the context of your solution in terms of people, product, and the process and methods, then you're able to tell the story and create your marketing campaign in a way that is differentiated from other companies. Yeah, it's uh, easily said, hard to do. And I guess the opportunity from, again, and not to beat a dead horse, but if you looked at what Starbucks is versus what it could have been, you know, instead of a series of coffee shops, 
it's a lifestyle experience. So what, what we did, what someone did a while ago with Starbucks is say, you know, it's not, we're not selling coffee here. We're selling a, a lifestyle yeah. and, and we're going to shift the paradigm. Uh, so people are coming to Starbucks, they're getting a cup of coffee. That's all well and good. And we need to be like McDonald's, which by the way, is maybe, you know, the premier business model in the history of business yeah. in that yeah. they serve a consistent product that keeps the world from starving every day. Right. Starbucks does a similar thing. You may not be a fan or be a fan or whatever of the coffee. The coffee's not the point. The point is there's a, this is a place where people can come, be relaxed, have a expectation yes. fulfilled and move along, having very little to do with coffee. And again, if you're a marketing person in cybersecurity and you sell endpoint solution protection, for example, is that really what the question now that I have at this point is when you look at this from a systems thinking point of view, is yeah. the question becomes, are you really selling an endpoint solution or are you selling more than that? Is the customer outcome more than simply protection against endpoint intrusion? Or is it a way of looking at their operating environment that enables them to do something differently than they could before. I mean, I'm speaking for the latter, absolutely. And you mentioned McDonald's, right? I was going to suggest, you know, watching the movie, The Founder, where Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc in the movie, where they literally redesigned the kitchen so they could create the experience for the customer. Again, when we're talking about Starbucks, you know, we mentioned convenience, comfort, and familiarity. Underlying that are the basic emotions of trust and safety. That's what cyber is about. Right. Now, you're talking about endpoint solution. Take, take for example, you know, data classification tools, right? Big impact, right? Classifying documents. But if it's a, if it's a naturally conservative organization, everybody's going to lean towards classifying anything yellow or red, right? But what does that mean from a physical data law standpoint? You can sell that solution in an organization. Hopefully, many of them have it. But what if somebody prints and walks out with it? So what does that what does that do from a data loss perspective, right? But if you as a marketer are able to have both those conversations across cyber as well as physical security, now that's a differentiator. Now you're thinking about the problem the client has versus you selling your endpoint solution. I mean, it's an oversimplified example, but it's you know it's very apropos in this context. No, it's not. I, I from my point of view, it's not oversimplified at all. It's exactly spot on. And it's what we need to, instead of, um, we're so carried away with, with technique and, you know, I've got a bunch of CMO friends that would agree here that we're very focused on metrics and technique and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. We lose track of the human factor here. We're, we're in the business of selling direct to humans. That train, a B2B, yes. that B2B train that left a long time ago, human beings Absolutely. make these buying decisions and we need to. We need to address the human condition, the human emotion, the human decision-making process as closely yeah. as we can. And and yeah. to your point about you know going as close to the edge of of human emotion as possible, love and money are right there, right? So as money is a great example because it as it changes form and meaning through the adoption of universal applications for payment and conversion, which is it's doing right now throughout the world. Yep. What's, the, what's the effect on new users who find themselves in an all-cash marketplace where purchase transactions can be too small for merchants to handle? Change, for example, you know, yeah. in all of the big markets throughout Singapore and throughout Eastern Asia and, and in yeah. many cases, Europe, if you walk up to a merchant and you 
buy something that's worth 48 cents and you want change on a dollar, it ain't going to happen. That person's too busy doing whatever it is they're doing. The question then becomes, now, you know, how do you re-enter this sort of trust engagement level into the money process all of a sudden, right? Which has never happened before. I, I yeah. don't, you know, I'm not going to naturally trust you to pay me back that, you know, yes. whatever, whatever that number was, 52 cents on the on that dollar, just because it's not my nature to do so. But if it becomes part of part of the process as it's now becoming everywhere, as in the pay it forward sort of yes. stuff that's going on and, and particularly in the Starbucks world, once again, then you know, it becomes part of the of, of a new paradigm. And that is a shift in and, and it's unintentional. No, nobody sat down and said, okay, what we need to do is now find a way to incorporate this uh, sort of new lackadaisical payback mechanism. Uh, so money itself has changed due to the technology around money changing. So yeah, but, but underlying that, that technology evolution came from the notion of trust, right? And I always say trust is learned behavior. Right. That's how we're come, you know, when we're working with John on the zero trust world and, and blending that with our systems and design thinking approach, right? Trust is learned behavior. To your point, Steve, right? You're not going to trust somebody to bring that 58 cents. In certain cultures, they're like, all right, come back for your coffee tomorrow and we'll balance that out. Right. right. Again, it's the agreement between two people of what that looks like. Now, in scenarios where you have QR codes or you know, you have Venmo or something. You can exchange that. You, you can pay that to the you know third decimal place. If I may, I can give you fifty eight you know point five eight seven back. When yeah. when it's not there, right? Especially in economies where where this is not adopted at a wide scale, which interestingly people are pretty pretty inclined to it because again it's easier. But there's a trust and safety in the system to say, okay, I am digitally exchanging money with you. I'm not seeing it. That's fine. Right. In certain other situations, it's not. I think it's about the agreement between the two parties around the trust. Right. Again, it's about trust and safety in that environment. That's how crypto is involved. Right. Because people didn't believe fiat currencies or the exchange and everything else that goes around, you know, everything else that is around that model. Right. Why did we why did that why did blockchain and cryptos explode as they did? And they have because people don't trust our current systems. Yeah, and well, blockchain and crypto are interesting examples as well. In that, uh, you know, the drivers behind the explosion are, are the usual ones, but that that's a world that's heavily regulated, um, mm-hmm. far more mm-hmm. so than most people understand or believe. So, the any trepidation about operating in the in the crypto blockchain world should be uh, should be cast aside because the regulations are so are, right. are are so tough there to make sure that you know it doesn't it it doesn't lend itself to the uh vulnerabilities that are so uh, right. ex- but it also boils down to experience right i mean the regula- the regulatory environment and all the other mechanisms that go into you know the normal money world if i say fiat side it is the experience that made people move away and say okay we want something that doesn't involve all this yeah, right? it was underscored by the notion of experience, right? Which violated trust at a level, and there you are, and so that spawned. And the same way we look, we see that in cyber too, right? If it if if a security practice becomes too cumbersome, there's a world of shadow IT. <laughs> so, yeah, sure, right? That's, well, um, and it's always been that way, right? And that's been yeah, one of the absolutely. I mean, there are like four or five foundational problems that we'll never get over, and that's one of them uh, that yeah. that we need to figure out how to work around it and. And make that work around the the foundational 
going forward principle, but not so easy. But from to- a marketing standpoint, right? If I'm able to talk about my solution with the board of director as much as the cybersecurity professional is going to be using it, as well as the end user employee who it's going to impact, or a project manager is going to implement your solution, then it's an experience you're creating for everybody. The one point solution, it could still be point solution, it may be very well fitting in their entire you know, system. But again, how are you telling that story to the people? And it's again, it's the what's in it for me. Yeah. And the aspect of driving change. Yeah. And then again, bringing it back to what am I going to do today and tomorrow mm-hmm. differently than what I did yesterday? I think that the important sort of takeaway from all of this is that we need to stop telling the story, whatever it happens to be, endpoint security, let's say, in the context of what that thing does and how it does it uh, versus what it provides and what outcome it creates. Uh, and, and if we simply made that very minor shift in emphasis within the, uh, the systems that we're describing, within the marketing system we're describing here, you know, right. how do we bring endpoint security to market? Well, it's got these features, it's got these functions, it compares to these co- competitors, it's got these points of parity, these points of differentiation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All boring stuff, all stuff, right. by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah, that doesn't, right. uh, hardly it, ever comes know, into play. In people the don't do that. Yeah, we don't do that when we go buy cars, right? It's an no. experience. No, you, you right. Go- I don't care if I'm not a car buff. I am. I, I do care if mine is, you know, a, a turbocharged engine. Other people don't. So who who looks at the specs and says that versus the driving experience? Are my kids okay? And from a cyberspace, right? I mean, my parents are older now, right? Are they well equipped? Are they informed? The systems they're using, are they safe? Or is it somebody going to scam them out of the retirement money? And conversely, my kids, right? From a data protection standpoint, for their own personal protection standpoint, the story starts to shift as you're talking about an experience, right? right. And I, as an employee going into an organization, Am I safe and is the work I'm doing safe? Am I protected well enough? Now there's a story to tell there. And I also work in the DNI space in my, you know, my day job. Culture in itself is a system. Those are learned behaviors again. You know, and yeah. if you're trying to influence and bring in the 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 ideas of inclusion, bring in the ideas of leveraging different aspects. Now that system, culture system has to has to shift and adapt, right? And we have to then take everybody in consideration, right? As we are trying to drive that culture change, right? So security as a culture is part of a broader culture. Yeah, sure. And, but to your earlier point, I think it all, it, it all has to start with red, you know, you, mm-hmm. that's what you're selling, you know? So like, yes. you want a car, what color, red, cool. Come on in. Yeah. Here's, here's our, Here's our red lineup, right? And you immediately now shift to the important thing, the important emotional decision that's going to be made here is I'm going to choose a red car. Which red car am I going to choose? Not I'm going to choose a car that goes 360 horsepower that has X, Y, Z, brakes, wheels, tires, all the rest of that stuff. That all comes later, right? You want to make sure that it has all that stuff. But the first thing you want to make sure of is it's red. And so that we don't do that today. And that's my point, Mm-mm. right? My point, yeah. my point, my takeaway would be from a systems thinking point of view is that we've got to undo, we have to be willing to look at the existing systems that are in place in terms of how we deliver marketing 
and then yes. be willing to step on those and, and shift them to an, that emotional connection approach, as opposed to the physical, if you will, or the technical connection approach. Yes, I see that as step two and three. The first one is the emotional, definitely. That is critical. And then looking at it from a systems perspective, applying those, those principles to it, now you're able to talk to those to different kinds of people in that system. You're a differentiated company with an amazing product. Exactly. Prachi, I think we knocked them dead this morning. I think we we should uh, <laughs> pull out our hats and run around and, and, and run the collection now. Seriously, I think we covered the ground I wanted to cover in terms of, you know, kind of breaking down the, you know, when you start talking about critical or design or systems thinking, it can immediately get pretty esoteric in terms of, you know, well, yes. how does that actually equate to everyday uh, my everyday job and and how I can execute my uh, my duties and responsibilities more effectively for my company. I think we uh, actually scratched the surface of that today. And yeah, I'll leave the audience with this. And you know, when I coach people, I tell them, right, it's a one degree shift. What happens? It becomes a struggle when you're trying to do one eighty in one go, right. and you have to allow yourself and give yourself permission to make those one degree shifts to drive that change. From a marketing perspective, if our approach shifts one degree and our storytelling shifts one degree in a way that connects, like I said, from a system standpoint, a very low level of behavioral shift can have massive impact, right? And those are the experimentation we have to do to see what works. And sometimes big impact, big efforts have very low impacts, right? Again, from a system standpoint, now you have feedback loops, which, you know, a marketing system is very well have are very well defined in marketing systems. Sure, yeah, we're at the mark here, Prachi. That happened really fast. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Likewise, I hope our audience did as well. We're certainly going to do this again because there's so much more to uncover here across the board, not just in systems thinking. And if you're inclined, I would love to have you back and we'll have another one of these and you know, share some more views and hopefully create some uh, discussion among our, our audience around, uh, around some of these points and how to, you know, the ways that they can improve their day-to-day operational impact as well. So thank you, Prashi, yep. for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve, for having me. Terrific. Terrific. And thanks for, uh, to our audience as well for uh, putting up with us this morning. Hopefully it was not a waste of your time. I thought it was pretty exciting and interesting and uh, lots of food for thought. So uh, until next time, I'm your host, Steve King, signing off and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at CyberTheory or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.